You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We have uh, been looking at the first uh, uh, verses 1 through 17 there uh, as a prologue of Romans, kind of the introduction. And uh, we've come to verses 14 through 17 today. And what some have called the most important uh, verses in the letter of Romans, maybe the theme, uh, possibly in many ways, the very essence of uh, Christianity itself contained in these verses. That's a lot to put in uh, for one sermon, but uh, we'll do our best this morning. Uh, looking at verses 1 through 7, I remind you, uh, we, we talked about the fundamentals of the gospel. And then last week, verses 8 through 13, we talked about the servant of the gospel, namely Paul and his uh, tremendous heart. And, and we see kind of an overflow of that today in Paul's desire to speak the gospel uh, because it is the power of God for salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 14 Paul writes this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask now, Lord, that you might uh, continue speaking to us, Lord, through your preached word, and I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease, and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verses 8 through 13, Paul has just expressed his longing to go to Rome. And the reason is because he wants to preach the gospel to them. And perhaps you notice in our reading the three, uh, let's just call them I am's, which began each verse. Verse 14, Paul says, I am. Uh, under obligation, uh, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Those words are so powerful because I think they reveal again the heart of the Apostle Paul, his burning passion and desire to uh, proclaim the gospel. They're also interesting, though, uh, because these statements or affirmations of Paul, these three I am affirmations, uh, often directly contradict the attitude that, that many have, many Christians have today when it comes to evangelism. Uh, for example, whereas Paul felt he was under obligation, verse 14, to share the gospel with people, many people, many Christians today feel like that evangelism is an option for Christians. Or maybe it's something for professional uh, ministers to, uh, to engage in. And we are told that all you have to do anyway is just live a good life, a kind moral life, and then people uh, will know. Uh, Paul didn't feel that way. Paul, the text says, was eager uh, to preach the gospel. 
Whereas much of the modern mood about evangelism is not excitement or eagerness, but much more reluctant. When evangelism is often brought up, it's met with sighs and uh, discomfort and, and dismay. But notice the word here. The word here is eager. Paul is eager. It, it pictures the, several pictures. The, the picture of a, the forward lean of a runner who's crossing the tape at the finish line. He is, he is eager, pressing forward with the gospel. The main root for the word uh, eager is uh, passion. A heavy breathing, the picture of a, a horse that is breathing heavy. He is ready to charge into battle. Uh, hardly a picture, again, uh, that, that describes our attitude toward evangelism today. But we are reluctant often, and Paul was eager. And then many of us, if we're honest, would acknowledge that we are probably more ashamed of the gospel than we would like to admit. Paul declared he was not ashamed of it. He says, I, I, he, he did not say, I will not be ashamed of it, uh, as if one day he wouldn't be. He did, didn't say, I'm hoping to, to not be ashamed of it, or one day I'm, I'm going to arrive at this. No, Paul says, I am not ashamed. This is his constant state. This is where he's at in life. This is his habitual lifestyle. I'm not ashamed of it. He could have simply said, I am fired up to preach the gospel. I am excited. But he says, I am not ashamed of it. I think the reason he says that is because there were many who were and who still are. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.8. He says, therefore, to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, Paul, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It was just a, a few verses after this, Paul uh, spoke of a man named Onesiphorus, uh, verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, who often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But the fact was, many were ashamed, which is why Paul used that phrase. Whenever the gospel was preached faithfully, we see this throughout the New Testament. It was, it was always met with, with uh, conflict. It, it was always met with contempt and ridicule and, and in some cases, violence. I think uh, there'd be some sense in which Paul himself, at least from an outside perspective, would have had reasons to be ashamed himself or at least reluctant about the gospel or maybe even embarrassed about it. John Stott writes this, Rome was a, the symbol of imperial pride and power. People spoke of it with awe. And everybody hoped to visit Rome at least once in their lifetime during this particular time in order to look and stare and wonder. But who was this fellow Paul who wanted to visit the capital city not as a tourist but as an evangelist who believed he had something to say which Rome needed to listen to? What folly and presumption is this? Stott continues. According to tradition, Paul was an ugly little guy with beady brows, bandy legs, a bald pate, and a hooked nose, bad eyesight, and he was, had really no great speaking gifts. So what would he hope to accomplish against the proud might of imperial Rome? Would it not be wiser for him to stay away? 
Or if he must visit Rome, wouldn't it be prudent at least for him to be quiet and just take in the sights and so forth, lest he be laughed out of town? But apparently Paul did not feel this way, did he? Verse 14, I am under obligation. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to those of you in Rome. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why are we? Are we afraid of what others may think about us if, if they know that we believe this? Uh, do, is it that we don't know the gospel well enough, which is an indictment on us, that we don't know it well enough to share it? Do we worry what it might cost us if we don't share it or, or if we share it? I know in my own life, I'm I, like the husband uh, who ran into the dentist office and he said, I, I, I need a tooth, tooth pulled and I need it pulled in a hurry. I don't have time for anesthesia or Novocaine or anything else. Just pull it. And the dentist said, wow, I have never seen anybody like you. Such bravery. Which tooth is it? And the man said uh, to his wife, show him your tooth, honey, which one it is. That's, that's what I feel. Let somebody else be bold with the gospel. I want to be comfortable. And yet Paul is writing this, you understand, church, so that we will be bold. He is writing this so that we will feel the obligation and we will sense an eagerness to share this and so that we will not be ashamed. Well, what are the convictions that would lead Paul to be this way. Because remember, we, we kind of started there last week that, that our Christian beliefs, our doctrine determines how we live. And so what in the world is it that Paul is believing and, and has these convictions that would, would compel him to, to live in this way of wanting to share the gospel like this? I think there's, there's, there's at least three of them here I want you to notice this morning. First of all, Paul believed that the gospel is a debt to the world. He believed it was a debt to the world. We see it again, verse 14. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now some of you may be using the King James Version and you actually see the word there. The actual word for obligation, under obligation, is debtor. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. What does Paul mean by this? How is he in debt to these people in Rome that he's never met before? How could the gospel be a debt? We think about uh, this. Uh, someone that, uh, a debtor is someone who has an obligation to pay off an amount that is owed. And there's a couple of ways you, we, we can think about this. First, if someone lends you $100, uh, as long as you have that, that $100 in, in your pocket, you are the debtor to the one who lent it to you. You owe that person $100. Uh, and you will need to give it back at some point to them in order to get out of, of debt. That's normally how we, we think of that very simplistic way. But there's another way to think about debt. The other way would be if someone gave you $100 and they said, I want you to give it to so-and-so. Now, at that point, you're kind of doubly in debt, right? Because you're in debt to the one who gave you the 100 bucks, 
But you're also, in de- until you give it, you are also in debt to the one whom you're supposed to give it to. And so as long as that $100 bill is in your pocket, you are not only a debtor to the lender, but also the person whom you're to give it. This is the way Paul is, is describing this here in, in verse 14. Paul understood the, the vastness, uh, the, the riches of the gospel that had been deposited to him when he became a Christian. That God had graciously forgiven him. God had had given him a righteousness that was not his own. God had gloriously saved his life. And in that moment, Paul became this free gift of salvation. Anyone else receive this free gift of salvation today? Four of you? Amen. This is a great audience. I've got you right where I want you. But, But in this moment, you understand... Paul was also charged by God in the giving of this gospel. When he became a Christian, he was charged to share this gospel with other people. This is in many places. First Corinthians 4, Paul talked about how he was a steward of the mystery of God and that he must be found faithful in that stewardship. Uh, Galatians 2, 7, he, that the gospel had been entrusted to him in, in order for him to take it to the Gentiles. He, he says the same thing in many other places. First Thessalonians 2, 4, 1 Timothy 1, 11, Titus 1, 3. There, there's this imagery of stewardship, but the, but the principle is still the same. Jesus has made Paul a debtor by committing the gospel to, his, to him, to his trust. He, he was in debt to the Romans, though he never met them or knew them. He was in debt more largely, as he talks about, to the Gentiles of the world. He wanted everybody to know. This is what he, what he means, I think, when he says, I am under obligation. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Those are expressions we can spend time on them, but we don't need to. They, they, they just cover the whole of Gentile humanity. I mean, from, from the top rungs of the socioeconomic uh, ladder status to the bottom, from those who are the highest educated to those who are foolish, those who are the lowest educated, lacking education. He, he was obligated to all. It was his great desire. I am eager, he says, to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He had to discharge. He had to share this gospel to discharge this debt. Can I, can I remind you, church, that we too are debtors with Paul? We too have this obligation. We are debtors to the world. As long as we have the gospel uh, with us and in us and we don't share it with someone else, we remain in debt to the world. We've been entrusted with the gospel to give it to them. If the gospel has come to us, we have no right to keep it to ourselves. Good news is for sharing. And and so we are also under obligation to make this known. I would remind you too, in, in, in in a slightly further weight sense and application, but in a more significant way, we are also in debt to God in this sense. Because on the last day, we are going to give an account about how we invested, how we stewarded this, this gift of the gospel that we have received. We are under obligation to share this gospel. Wherever the Lord sends you, you are under obligation to speak. 
Now, I'm not saying you need to become a wild-eyed fanatic on the side of the road yelling at people. Um, but as God puts people in our paths, we are to be building bridges, having conversations, talking to them about the gospel. In the Old Testament, the uh, imagery of being under obligation was presented with, uh, I think, a different metaphor than that of being a debtor, but very similar. The prophet Ezekiel uh, said in Ezekiel 33 that he was like a watchman on the wall. I don't know if you've read the story or not. It's a great read for a Sunday afternoon. Ezekiel 33, write that down. But there were uh, uh, people who would be going about their day-to-day business uh, behind the wall. And uh, if the watchman on top of the wall, was, if he saw the enemy coming, it was his job to alert the people. Hey, look, there's enemies coming. You know, shut the gates. Everybody uh, take, take cover. If, if, he, if it, the people did not respond, uh, the enemy co- would come and, and destroy them. And that would be their own decision. Their blood would be on their own hands. But, but if the watchman on the wall failed to alert the people, then the people's blood would be on his hands. This is what Ezekiel felt. He saw himself to be as a prophet of God, one who was speaking for God, a watchman on a wall, appointed by God to give a divine message. No matter how difficult, no matter how unpleasant, the, the, the truth was to be proclaimed, regardless of, of even how popular it would or unpopular it would make him. He must be the, a faithful mouthpiece of God. He was under obligation to do so. That's the debt that Paul felt. And I would simply ask today, the point of application, do you feel this, this obligation, Christian? Do you feel this obligation in your life? Is there an eagerness with Paul to preach the gospel to those who need to, to hear it? This was the conviction that was driving Paul's life. He's in debt, and he must share. Another reason Paul was eager to preach the gospel and was not ashamed of it was because the gospel is God's power for salvation. He says this in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the reason why. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How did... Paul overcome the temptation that perhaps he himself had or the temptation that he knew his hearers were, would have in being ashamed of the gospel. He did it by, he overcame that by remembering the very message that so many people were despising was the power of God for salvation. That was the truth. That was the conviction that empowered him. We think about power. Uh, Ferguson offers a helpful illustration here. If you had done kind of a word association test with the first readers who were reading this at this particular time in Rome, the the audience of Rome, and you would have just said some words and have them to to respond back to you. If you'd said black, they might have said white. If you'd said horse, they'd probably say chariot. If you'd said power, they would have said Rome. Rome. Why is that? Because of all the nations, of all the empires that had risen over the years, Rome was the nation and the empire of power. They had overwhelmed other 
nations. I mean, just rolled over them, invaded other countries, covered the ancient world with their roads, their political power, their powerful army. Everywhere they went, uh, the Roman army was feared. They, they brought the whole of the ancient world into subjugation of their prince and leader Caesar. And so it was a great challenge, even at that time, for believers in, in Christ, uh, politically, so to speak. Would they be willing or unwilling to say that Caesar was Lord? It was power. And yet, over against that, Paul comes to the Romans, and Paul says, you know what, I want you all to remember something very much about this, of all that pressure weighing in on you, from the nation to bow to Caesar and all this persecution, I want you to remember something, that there has been another power that has been unleashed in this world. And interesting, this power is also an international uh, power in its influence, and it's for Jews and Greeks and or Gentiles and for Greeks and barbarians. And this power has laid waste to its enemies also, not foreign countries, mind you, but sin and death and Satan and hell. And this power is the power of the gospel of God. This power can save men and women for all eternity. This is a power that Paul had experienced firsthand in his life and one that he had seen and as, a, as the gospel went out, seen transform, change other people, so much so that not even the mightiest nation in the world could stomp out the power of this gospel. This is why Paul could look forward to going to Rome and with a straight face, not in any way, any sense of of shame. Christian, you do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. When, when you are talking with unbelievers, you do not need to be ashamed of this. For one, has not the power of God uh, brought about salvation in your life? Has it not changed you? Has it not transformed your life? If it hasn't, or, or so forth, and that's a different conversation. You need to be saved today. But if, if you have been, you need not be ashamed of this gospel. The powerful nation in the world, any nation we can think of, the capital cities of our world, they, they should hang their heads in shame before the gospel because in all of their might and all of their brain power and all of the financial power today and all the scientific power, the technological power, none, absolutely none of those things can provide the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Only the gospel. This gospel has supernatural power to liberate believers from their bondage to sin. It does not matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter how, uh, what kind of deviant lifestyle you might have fallen into. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a barbarian or wise or foolish. The gospel is far more powerful than the power of your sin and of any power. This gospel is God's saving power, Paul writes, for everyone who believes, both the Jew and Gentile, they are saved, it says, by this power. Notice everyone is saved in exactly the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, he says. 
So this was the conviction. Again, Paul recognized first what's driving his life. He believed that the gospel was an unpaid debt to the world. It was such a conviction in him. He believed it. It gave him this sense of obligation. He had been entrusted to this good news, and he had been entrusted in order to share it. And this was a principle that was leading his life, changing his life, shaping his life, determining his life. And then secondly, he, he was this conviction that the gospel was also the saving power of God. This gave him this great conviction. If, if the gospel could save him, Paul, it could save anyone. So he is eager to share this gospel, and in fact, unashamed to share it. There's a third conviction that he gives. The gospel, thirdly, reveals God's righteousness. It reveals God's righteousness. Verse 17, again, speaking of the gospel, Paul writes, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The reason the gospel is God's saving power is this, that in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. Now, what does that mean and why is, is that so important? At church, this is of paramount importance you could say this one verse contains the the really the, you could argue the theme for the entire book of romans and and again the, the the very essence of the gospel itself for in it the righteousness of god is revealed what does that mean well think about god's righteousness for a moment we talked about this a long time ago sometime back in january i think um, god's righteousness being an attribute of god He's always consistent in his person. He, he always does what is right. Do you agree with that today? That's our God. He's righteous in every way. And so he says here, the gospel has revealed the righteousness of God. And notice that the righteousness is revealed in the gospel. In the gospel is verses 2 and 3 concerning his son. This is beautiful, too, because we think about Jesus. Jesus is also completely righteous. Amen? Just making sure you're with me. This is good. Uh, and, and, and also, when we think about righteousness as an attribute, we also think about it as an achievement. Because Christ achieved our righteousness. He achieved perfect righteousness by His obedience to the law while He was here on the earth. And it's, it's so important to think about these things. You think, this is doctrine again. I don't know. But this is so important because I hope you know this. I hope that you know today. I don't want to disappoint you, but, but you are not righteous. You are not righteous. And, and Paul is going to spend the next three chapters convincing us of this, of this truth. I'll give you one verse in preview. It's chapter 3. Uh, verse 10, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. That pretty much covers it, right? But in the gospel, we are told, the righteousness of God is revealed. And this means for us that God has taken initiative to put sinners right with himself. 
by bestowing on them a righteousness which is not their own, but His righteousness. This is the very heart of our Christianity, the heart of the good news, because unless God is willing to give this righteousness to us, and that He actually does give this righteousness to us, we have no hope for salvation at all. None. But the good news of the gospel is that God offers this righteousness of Jesus Christ freely apart from any need on our part to work for this righteousness. The glory of the gospel is that this righteousness is God's way of, 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 of dealing with our sin, of acting in, in perfect righteousness so that sinners can stand in His holy and righteous and glorious presence. And He has provided that righteousness through His Son, Jesus. So, try to make this simple. When we stand before God someday, and every one of us will, you will. And God is going to require perfect righteousness to get into heaven. Perfect. That's your only hope. Where will you get such righteousness? I, I know a lot of you, uh, some of you very well, a lot of you, uh, but, but I, I do know this, and, and I love you in saying this, but there is no one in this room who is even close to being able to stand before a holy God in perfect righteousness that you've earned for yourself. You will need a righteousness that you do not have in that moment. You can say, oh, I've got all these good works, and I served you, and I went to church every Sunday, and I did this, and I did that. It will not be enough. You will need a perfect righteousness that you do not have. But here is the good news. In the gospel, God has revealed it. He's revealed it. And such righteousness, God promises to give as a gift to those who come to Him in faith. That's what He says. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When He says faith for faith or faith to faith, I think that simply means it's, this is entirely by faith. How do you get this righteousness? It's entirely by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, entirely by faith. And this is not a new way of salvation. This is the same one that's been taught in the Old Testament because that quote, the righteous shall live by faith, is from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's just simply reminding us that he or she, the person, through faith, that is how they are made righteous, and they alone shall live. They alone shall live in the judgment of God. By faith. Faith is the channel by which sinners receive Christ's righteousness. And so the question is, do you believe this? Very briefly, saving faith. What are we talking about? We're talking about faith. Saving faith consists of knowledge, right? It involves knowing something. It involves content, which by the way is why we must share the gospel. They're not going to just get saved from looking at your life. They have to know the content of the gospel. 
Saving faith involves knowledge. Uh, saving faith involves a, a heart response. That, that we're not just uh, assenting to a principle here, but r- rather this is the love of God for us and saving us through the death of Jesus Christ, His Son. And unless this touches our hearts and moves us, we, we don't really understand the gospel. A heart response. And then third, it's, it's a commitment to Christ. This saving faith is a commitment. Jesus is not just a Savior to you. He is your Savior. He's my Savior. I gladly confess Him as Lord of my life. Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. Like Paul, verse 1, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. This is what saving faith means. Paul described his salvation in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I know some of you are studying on Sunday morning. He said this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, comes from my obedience, my works. Not having a righteousness of my own. But that, that righteousness, a righteousness which comes through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from, sorry, from God. A righteousness from God that depends on, what is the word? Faith. It's it's over and over again. Let me ask you this morning, in whose righteousness are you trusting in for your salvation? It's such a key question. It's so important. A righteousness of your own or the righteousness from God? that depends on faith. Only one of those will save you. And it's not yours. It's His righteousness that will save you. So put your faith in Christ alone today for your righteousness, for your salvation. If you do know Him today, I just ask you again, are you eager to proclaim the gospel? These are such amazing truths. And Have you received this gift? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you feel the weight of the obligation that has been put on you as a debtor to share the good news of Jesus? How glorious it is to be saved. How can we not want to share this with others? Father, do your work in our heart and life today. Um, May we respond to you as you lead us with, with faith and obedience today for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.